go. Have you noticed? I don't know if you've been listening to our show or not. How dare you? I'm three episodes back. Very fun, uh, the one we did about the thing. <laughs> I did say, babe. It, it, was, it was the one where we were talking about the, the knife and the stabby stab and the verdict. And the thing. Just do the thing. Banter for that opening 30 seconds. We had plenty. Got to put on some funny. God. That's what the people want. Here we are, Abe. Cast Iron Brains, a podcast that doesn't want to deny anybody an honest route to earning an honest living and certainly doesn't want to overstate the case that we're in some period of serious civilizational decline. But if the worthless and ubiquitous digital ephemera that passes for culture in this silly age can be turned into uniquely identifiable and transferable tokens that can then be sold for colossal sums of money, it might be the case that we are, collectively, not doing a great job of resource allocation. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, Lori? I'm all right. Lori's all right. Today is Monday, May twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. It's my sister's thirtieth birthday. Come on, I, look at this. Every Monday. Yeah, we wished uh, Duncan a happy birthday last Monday, and then I trashed that episode <laughs> and recorded it again <laughs> on Tuesday. Right. So. <laughs> Not that any of these people listen to the show anyway, so it doesn't matter. But for anybody out there keeping track of all of my siblings' birthdays, it was, in fact, Duncan's last Monday night and Catherine's tonight. So happy birthday, Catherine. You have a good weekend, Abe? I did. I did. I was watching a lot of uh, sporting events uh, this weekend. Oh, yeah? Big sports weekend? Yeah, there were a lot of basketball games, and uh, there was also that golf thing that was happening. Um the Wall Street Journal had this funny article today. Funny to me. Uh, it said, fans are back and acting crazy. And as evidence, they pointed to Knicks fans chanting obscenities. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yes. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that what they typically do? They seem to always be like upset about something because their team sucks. I, I watched some of that Hawks Knicks game yesterday. I turned it on. It's perfect, by the way. You turn on a playoff basketball game, and it's close, and there is five minutes or fewer left in the game. It's like, oh, I got here just right. in time. Yeah. All the, all the, it's never true of basketball. All the crap goes on forever. Earlier. It still went on way too long. There were still, like, from the in the last five sport. minutes, it's there were still legitimately, close. like, 15 commercial it's breaks between then and the end of the game. Literally the fastest sport of all four major sports, but go on. Two and a half yes, hours. Yes, I understand that, but it also reliably drags to a fucking uh, standstill in the final few minutes. Ah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a boring old take right. about basketball. But no, yeah, because, I understand that. It's yeah. not a boring old take. It's a horrible sport it's, that needs fixing. It, they can do it. it I have ideas. It, it did need fixing. It's, it's a great sport. But uh, were you going to make fun of uh, Trey Young's hair? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll get to that in a second. The, the coverage of that Knicks game is like, and I know people are like, or some people have romantic notions about, wouldn't it be great if the Knicks were a great franchise again? Which, by the way, in my lifetime, they were never a great franchise. So you have yeah. to go way, way back. Even the Patrick Ewing and John Starks days, those were 
and Anthony Mason, those were sort of garbage teams that always got had their asses kicked by the the Bulls or the Pistons or whoever right. in the playoffs. Right. So you have to really go way back to, to what the seventies, the early seventies, the sixties and the seventies. Yeah. It's not like they ever had a trim anyway. That's beside the point. I, I hate the romanticizing of the New York Knicks and the Garden and MSG. The Mecca. And the, and the, in the last 20 minutes, so I watched, I don't know what it was, the five minutes of game time was 20 or 30 minutes of, of real lifetime. And half the time, Tracy Morgan and Spike Lee were on the television. <laughs> like that was, and Tracy, it was, <laughs> Tracy Morgan it was just would not, crowd shots. Yeah, he would not have his mask. He would just have it on the chin, which at that point was the point, you know. But you're right. They kept on cutting to them. I will say a good, it's good when New York, the Knicks fans, have hope and it's crushed. Because you're right, they're never good, but at least you don't want them That's to true. be bottom I was, feeders. I do not care about the Hawks at all. Like of all the, of the Atlanta sports teams, I never had any particular affinity for the Hawks. I would root for them when they were good. Sucks. Because they, also they had a fun team a few years ago, as I recall, and I watched some of those games. But like whatever. Yeah, they never really had a good. But watching Trey Young yeah. do what he did to the to the Knicks crowd was satisfying. I really did not want that crowd to feel good at the end of the night yeah. and and Trey Young did not allow it with a really fun little a runner yeah. at the end I, I know all the basketball uh talk you know the the verbiage Bob is f- flicking his hand he ran like, through the defense like down past the foul line yeah. and jumped up he, and like floated it in right it was good and he has terrible hair about it. This is he, this has nothing to do with his don't, skill. Don't don't don't. What's the over under by in eighteen months he'll be without hair, right? I mean it is. I mean he should shave it right, now. But I, I've seen him like when he's not sweaty and gross and it looks perfectly fine. Like he can obviously you can do something with that mess right. when it's not when you haven't been running around a basketball court for two hours. But I think it's gotten worse because. This season, when I was watching it, you know, like because the the camera angles in basketball, you can just see the back of their head a lot. And it's like, wow, right? Looks terrible. Yeah, it's all very bad. I'll put up some uh, very unflattering photographs of <laughs> Trey Young's dome when he's sweating profusely on the website, and just go to brainiron.com. But there's there's weird angles to the haircut. I don't yeah. know. Lori could give us a more detailed. Uh, I will not make fun of someone's <laughs> appearance. I'm not making fun. Just <laughs> observing. <laughs> what okay. have we been doing the last two minutes? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I watched a little basketball. I watched a little bit of the. Uh, we watched a lot of baseball. Of the PGA, watched a lot of baseball. I've also, I don't know if it's my old age or his old age, but I used to really have disdain for phil mickelson like he was just sort of this dopey eeyore kind of character like just always seemed to be moping about and everybody wanted to have narratives about phil and he's just the most boring golfer he's the one that, that didn't win imagine. until forever right didn't he like it took him a while to get yeah. a title it took him a while and tiger was always obviously way better than he was right. and now he's got was he have five or six now major championships including at 50 years old he's the oldest the oldest golfer to ever win a major championship. It, that's so weird because I think of that uh, old golfer. What's his name? Nicholas? Jack uh, Nicholas. I think of him as being so much older. Was he in well, his he has 40s? been for like our entire I know, but life. But when he won it like in but when 86 he was, when or whatever. He won, yeah. It's just we've talked before about how much older people were back then. Right. He just like that Jack Nicholas seems like he was 60 right. when he won that. Right. 
you know, it's just I mean, interesting. Not even in sports, like in movies. Sometimes I'll watch a movie from like the 80s and it, that person is like like 39. And you thought yeah. that they were old as shit when you... They're so yeah. old. And you're like, oh, I'm almost 39. No, yeah. we're 25, <laughs> Abe. <laughs> We watched a lot of sports. We watched, yeah, because we watched the Braves. Watched the so Braves scored like a million runs this weekend. That was exciting. Finally, my brother Andrew was here. That's why we Listener were. Listener of oh, the show, no, yeah, Andrew, the For only once. the only one who really reliably listens of the of the family. Was it like ninety degrees hot in uh, Charlottesville by any chance? Because it was hot as balls. Was, yeah, yeah, but you watch sports inside, right. so what's it matter? Andrew is here with Dre, his girlfriend, who's a lovely person, and who like she just doesn't. I mean, this is not. I'm going to say she doesn't fit in with our family, and that sounds like a terrible thing yeah, to say, well, but it's, it's she's actually... She's not an asshole. It's actually a compliment. <laughs> There's no one that I can think of in our family who's, like, a genuinely nice person. And I, I don't mean, like... Uh, Emily... Emily can do it, right? So Emily obviously can do it. This is so my brother's wife, my sister-in-law is a lovely right. person. She's very she can be very nice, but also she's sort of a sarcastic asshole like when yeah, she, she needs she, she can be that. Yeah. But she can she can perform the niceness. Nobody would ever say, "Oh, Emily, she's a bitch. She sucks." Right. Like nobody would ever say that. Like literally no one would ever say that. Ever. Right, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying that she's not nice. I'm saying that there is an undercurrent there where it makes sense right. that this person ended up surrounded by the sorts of people who are like me. <laughs> where, like none of us are are very nice. Like you would say my my sister, for example, just Catherine. as an example. Catherine's a very good person. Right. She's also not nice, really. Like she's not. She can be nice to people. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to explain this in a way that makes it uh, is hard to explain. Uh, He's not wrong. It's just that, like in so it, it's almost like an inside the tent versus outside the tent thing. Like inside the tent, my family are like we're vicious and we're sarcastic and we're <laughs> cutting and we're a bunch of assholes. Like you don't have to listen to my show very long to understand the sorts of people that I come from. Uh, it's there, but outside the tent, yeah. a lot of us can put right, on the face. Right. Like my, my mother, I'm sure plenty of people think my mother is, oh, she's very nice. My sister, very nice. But like inside, right. uh, <laughs> less so. But Dre is this person who's like, she's actually nice. She's actually nice. <laughs> and she like wants to always be nice and like say the nice thing. And like, it just feels weird when she's around. Cause I'm not that way. Would so. This is not just because you're not hanging out with her at all times, right? This is right. Maybe she's maybe maybe I'm just not getting the full right. picture. But I really I get the feeling nice. that she's actually just, just nice. wants to be really nice all the yeah. time. Yeah, I'm always on my end. I'm always surprised when I do come across people like that. Like, huh? Okay, I guess that is doable. Yeah, is there nothing nothing else going yeah. on there <laughs> under, under the hood. <laughs> Which is it, it reflects poorly on me that I. Sometimes we'll initially trust somebody more if I can kind of see that they have a little uh, something wrong with them. Like they're a little off. Like, right. Okay, this of is that kind of person. But if they're like on the straight and narrow. You, like, met, you met Dre, not that you would remember, right. but when we went to that Braves game that Chris Howard made us go to, oh, just like most Braves games right. all of us go yeah. to. I think I do yeah. remember that. She was there. Yeah. She was just yeah. nice. Yeah, she's very nice. And it's it's like, so I was like taking the dog for a walk and she says like, and I was going to go by myself just because that's what I do. I go, I take the dog for the walk after dinner. 
It's important. Everything you read says if you've just eaten a large meal, don't go sit on the couch. Go walk I around outside for a while. I don't read anything that says that. Everything I read says nothing <laughs> well, like that. You ignore the headlines. You don't want to <laughs> encounter the truth, obviously. <laughs> everything you read doesn't say that. Everything you read about this particular subject says if you, once you've eaten the big meal, get moving for a few minutes afterwards. Is this from the same literature that tells you to don't take a shower or go swimming if you eat? This is Bob's TB12 <laughs> pliogenics. Yeah. This is, no, this is good advice. If you've just eaten a large meal, don't go fucking sit down in front of the couch for three hours. Go for a walk around the neighborhood. If you happen to be privileged enough to live in an area where you can safely go walk around, then go do it. This is, this is medical advice. I am a doctor. Okay. Everyone can listen to me on that. Anyway, so I was taking the dog for a walk. And I asked the kids if anybody wanted to go for a walk. And, of course, they're uh, lazy assholes. And they said no. And Dre was like, oh, you want some company? And, like, a normal nice person like me, if, like, not like me, but, like, a normal nice person would say, oh, yeah, sure, let's go. And I was like, uh, I mean, I don't want <laughs> company. I'm not, I'm not seeking company. You are welcome to come and join me on this walk if that's what you want to do. But I am not asking, I'm not like, this is not me asking you to do that. And now, I, and then as the words are coming out of my, my mouth, I'm like, oh, oh no, I've done this very wrong. <laughs> like, Bob, is... that's how I feel in every interaction of my life. Right. Welcome it to have, it. It would have never occurred to me except that she is so nice, right. right? So if it was just anyone else, I'd be like, yeah, sure, Andrew, fuck off. Put on your sneakers. Let's right. go if we're going. Not like I'm not going to acquiesce to this like, yeah, you know what? I would love, Dre, <laughs> if you can't like, and it's not on her. Like, this is entirely on me. Like, I recognize yeah. that. Uh, but like, I, I just don't have that gene that says just play nice and and i'm not i'm not saying that she's playing it she truly is that right, way i think right well at least he didn't say like uh it's just something people say and just walked off just like <laughs> no don't worry he just farted the whole time anyway so yeah. that's the that's the thing i spent the entire walk then trying to come up with a good joke to break the ice on the way back because she decided not to come right she's like oh no okay i understand you do your thing it's like no i'm not trying to be an asshole like that's that not not what's happening here i'm just not trying to impose anything on anyone so i got back and i was like ah good thing nobody came with me because i just farted every third step around the neighborhood <laughs> and everybody laughed and it was cool it's all totally fine was it the this wasn't very nice was it the framing of her question was like do you want instead if she just said oh yeah i'll come that would have been right. Absolutely. If she had, ju if instead she had just said, "Oh yeah, I'll come. Let me grab my been, shoes. Yeah. I like a walk yeah. after dinner." I've been like, "Great. Yeah, let's do it." It was the. It was the. Do you want company? Right. And now I have to make some sort of like. Yeah, it's like be vulnerable for me, Bob. And like, oh fuck that. Right. I can't do it. <laughs> I cannot do the vulnerability with anything. I'm ter Like I'm. I'm obviously terrible at like asking for help. Right. Or even allowing help to happen around me. It's like, no, no, no fuck yeah, off. Yeah. Go do something else. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, it's fine. Let me do it. Go away. He's an asshole. It's an asshole is what he's saying. I I, see, but I don't, th I don't think that should make me an asshole. That makes me willing to just do the thing that needs to be is done. Is that a guy it thing? I'm not to be, feel awful. It's fine. Not to be stereotypical, but is that a guy thing? Because, you know, I've worked against it now, but, like, 
back in the day, I would not ask for help like at, at the grocery store. And I'm just like, what? This is stupid. Just ask the guy where the ketchup is. It's amazing how much help you can get if you just ask. Right. But it seems like uh, such a silly question. Like, I can't figure it out. I can't read the signs, you know? But that's. So, by the way, you, 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 the grocery store thing, you go to the grocery store now, and if you ask someone for help in finding an item, do you know what they do what? at Wegmans? It's maybe not everywhere. But at Wegmans, they get out their uh, smartphone device and they open their Wegmans app and they search for it. And then it tells them which aisle to send you to. Wow. They also like. So, do you know what I have on my phone when I'm walking around Wegmans? I have the Wegmans app on my phone. So you can look at. I will say. Right. The. Home Depots and Lowe's of the world, they seem to be on it. Oh. They seem to, oh. Nightmare. The thing is over there. No, I disagree entirely. My experience in Lowe's in the last few years, because we have no Home Depot in this town, this, which is bogus. This town is big enough to support two national uh, do-it-yourself hardware stores. I don't understand the problem. Well, not but, even like some random chain? It's just just Lowe's? We have Lowe's the, and then we have... a. A, like a small okay. there's a there's like a mom and pop style one downtown which is good but also like super intimidating because it's been there for like a hundred years and you go in there and things are stacked like to the ceiling the rows are incredibly tight and you will never find anything anywhere unless you know exactly where to go so where the, you ask you go in there you have to ask the okay. question and and then like and that's that that is preferred because they're you're, they're expecting right. that at Lowe's. I've noticed in the last few years, you go into a Lowe's and you ask for help, and they don't have the first fucking clue. Really, it is yeah. Maybe so. Anyway, I got I got a lot of problems with Lowe's, but we're not here <laughs> to discuss uh, my problems with Lowe's. Anyway, I'm sure that this will get back to Dre. Dre, it was lovely having you here. You're a very nice person. I just. I'm just surprised that that's what Andrew was seeking. Uh, <laughs> I guess I guess you go your whole life not being around nice people, and you're like, huh, wonder what that would be like. And apparently it's good. Anyway, I suppose we should open up the WGAS news bag. It's time for Who Gives a Shit News. You're a news bag. Uh, let's see. What, what struck us this week, Abe? This uh, Belarus thing is... Extremely interesting, actually. Is is there a reason why they they couldn't have nabbed that guy at some other point? Like, was this like a flux, as they, the kids call it these days? Like, was this a deliberate thing by that shithead dictator from Belarus? I don't know. We should uh, we should set it up a little bit better than that, though. Probably this uh, guy, and I will say his name once and get it wrong. His name is he's a journalist. His name is. Roman Pratasevich, or something like that. He's a young kid. And he, yeah, he's in his early 20s, I think. 26. And he was on a flight that left from Greece. Because it was two European Union countries. It left from Greece. To Lithuania. Well, it was supposed to go to Lithuania. Its, on its way to Lithuania. And so he's, he's a vocal critic of Alexander Lukashenko, who's the uh, president of Belarus for the last. Uh, our entire lifetimes for as, right. as long as that country has had a president and that kid had uh, been since alive. 1994 right. or something. Uh, yeah, and for as long as this kid has been alive, basically, uh, Lukashenko has been the president, and he's you know an authoritarian type, not a great guy. And this guy has been vocally critical of Lukashenko, 
And he was on a Ryanair flight. Ryanair is... It's an Irish airline. An Irish airline, yes. Is it like Spirit Airlines? It is it like the... the yeah, right. kind yeah. of. I've heard it characterized as like the southwest of Europe. Not, yeah, it's not, just not very, so like, no safe seats. Like, no frills, just bare bones. Yeah, but I flew there. I flew on it and once. And it was fine? It was fine. Okay. I didn't die. I don't know what else a person could want. Like, the seatbelt isn't like an add-on, right? It's like everything... The, the I don't think it was. It was a long time okay. ago, but... The bottom line with the story is that they seem to have faked a bomb threat. They attributed the bomb threat to Hamas. Right. Just, like, pick a random terrorist right. organization right. currently in the news. And they said... Uh, Belarus was like, you got to take this flight down so that we can get, because there's a, a potential bomb threat against it. And in the meantime, it seems like Belarus had some spies on the plane. That's what that because Ryan Air CEO guy said, right? There were some KGB types. Right, because there were, there were five, there were 126 or 127 people on the passenger manifest uh, when it took off from Greece and only 121 landed in Lithuania but only two people were arrested so there were another three or four <laughs> folks who uh, seem to have been like Belarus security officials who were following this guy and arrested him uh, when they landed in uh, wherever they landed I'm in. surprised they didn't come up with another sham explanation like that those three people were two traumatized by the experience to continue on the the flight so they just stayed off the plane right no it's it's nuts that this one eu nation was able to ground a flight that had already taken off force it to land and then arrest someone strictly on a pretense he's just a political prisoner right. it's basically out, out and out a political prisoner He's charged with some nonsense about like inciting mass fear or right. discord or something like that. But that's what I'm saying. So this journalist, they, I'm sure, had other opportunities to get him. So it's interesting that they chose this moment to do so. And like they're threatening to shoot down the plane. I mean, they literally had like a fighter jet to say, hey, we strongly encourage to, you know, go to this air." Airport, even though it's actually closer, if they just finished off their if they just went to the that uh, Lithuanian uh, destination, but they're like, no, no, right. go to the Belarus one, and they took them off. So like, and now there are going to be sanctions, and all of these other countries are going to make a big thing, and uh, the EU, I think, advised all of the airlines to just fly around the airspace of Belarus, and so like all of this, is it worth the effort to get this one? Journalist, when they had other opportunities to do so, I'm just guessing. By the way, that they had other opportunities. Maybe he was just hiding out in Greece all this time. I'm not sure, but it seems to me like a very risky thing to do. Uh, and your reputation is right. soiled. And Lukashenko is not exactly. He's not the guy with the big stick here in in the EU. This is clearly something that was. I mean, I I don't know if he ran it by Putin or not. But you can't imagine that Putin didn't sort of okay this one way or another. It's way too big of a flex, as you're calling it, for it to be something that just Lukashenko has to deal with the the repercussions right. of. And th th this is a country that's already under some minimal sanction anyway from other European Union countries. And one wonders if Russia has sort of told them, do whatever you want. Uh, we will continue to bail you out as necessary and the more that you're fighting with the EU, the better it is for us, the Russian trolls of the world. No uh, no disrespect to Belarus, but who let Belarus into the EU? 
How did they wiggle their way in? One of my favorite Eurovision songs was from Belarus. It was called, I Love Belarus. (laughs) Maybe on the strength of that, got in. Did you see the uh, video that he released? Who? Um, was this recent? They they released like a, a what amounts to a hostage video of this kid. Oh, I who I is did reading not. reading from a script. Uh, it was in whatever fucking language that is. So I don't. Belarusian. Yeah, sure, that one. And it's a 29 second video that the government uh, state media published to Telegram, in which he says, "I am alive. I don't hurt something like that." Right. He says, "I'm alive. I'm not being." I'm being uh, treated very well, and it's a it's a confessional. He says he says he's been uh, taken. His treatment in custody was maximally correct and according to law. And he added that he was giving evidence to investigators about organizing mass disturbances, and he confesses to having organized mass disturbances in what is like obviously a they have scared the shit out of me, and I am going to confess to whatever they need me to confess to so that I don't die or am tortured to death in prison. Right, and they must know that that's how it's going to be received. This is not, going to, this is not like a, a statement made voluntarily. I mean, you, you are kidnapping him, right, for him to say this, right? So that he's not doing this because he wants to. You're forcing him to. So it doesn't mean anything, but they still want it out there just for whatever reason. Yeah, well, the normal cover your ass reason, the the plausible deniability thing, even if it's not plausible, it doesn't matter. Uh, So that's fucked up. And the president, uh, the uh, Biden has come out with a fairly strong condemnation of the goings on, understandably so. And I don't know who who knows what's going to happen there, but an interesting story. So, yeah, there's a couple of stories actually this week about government crackdowns on social media companies, none of which involve just turning off the websites and being done with it forever. So I'm not too interested in talking (laughs) about them. But but Twitter had labeled some government accounts as containing manipulated media, and the the government in New Delhi did not appreciate that. So much so that they actually went to their office. Right, went to the office and, and shut it down. Uh, which is fucked up. And Florida also this week, uh, Ron DeSantis signed in a in a sign of the sort of thing that he's going to be running on in 2024. The sort of rhetoric that he'll be using is about how big tech and the media are united against conservatives. And so, in a in a bid to combat that, Florida has passed a law and DeSantis has signed a law that will allow Florida to fine Facebook or Twitter or any, I think the way that they worded it in the law was any social media platform that has 100 million users or more that acts to ban or silence uh, statewide political candidates in Florida, they will be fined like a quarter million dollars a day or something like that for every day that the ban or silencing goes on. What if they silence them all equally which is like obviously an unconstitutional right. law so far as i can, can tell fl- like which is florida, florida attempting to compel Facebook? right it's florida attempting to compel speech on behalf of florida and on, on behalf of facebook and and twitter which they obviously can't do according to the first amendment do they have even any servers in florida can they just move them over to savannah or something if they did and just say fuck you guy right that's a good point also too. this is What's wrong? I mean, there's plenty of things wrong with the current state of uh, politics, but just like infrastructure should be a very easy bipartisan issue that you can kind of find some common ground to pass, big tech or the role of big tech is another 
bipartisan issue that you can kind of get a lot of support to come up with something, you know. But the only interest from people like uh, the governor in Florida is to just use it as a political attack, right? Right. Well, we talked about it back when they had the tech hearings over the summer, I think it was, and all of the tech CEOs went before Congress and all of the worst Republicans in Congress got up, got took their five minutes to complain about conservatives being banned on the platforms, largely largely bullshit uh, examples of conservatives being banned on the platforms, especially considering that these platforms do more to raise the profile of podunk, middle-of-nowhere congresspeople and give them a platform that they couldn't possibly have had 25 years right. ago. Right, especially with all of the different groups, you know, you, how you can create groups on Facebook, uh, private groups. Some people know no, how you t- can create groups on Facebook. Tell me more about Facebook. that. You sound like some sort of a, a millennial expert on this, Abe. <laughs> oh, it's uh, no easy feat. but It's not that easy. <laughs> But it's like when, when you have a, an issue that you can find, you can kind of get everybody together to fix, and then you, instead of that, you choose it to be an issue, just a topic you can kind of raise funds on. You're not really interested in solving the problem. You know, there's always been these like— No, have you met politicians? Pr- They're not interested in solving problems. Right, but at least do like a— get rid of an old wedge issue for a new one. But they're keeping all the old ones, and then— they're adding to them. And it's just like, come on. So first of all, I think I'll stand by my prediction from months ago when the that last COVID relief bill finally passed, the $2 trillion COVID relief mm-hmm. bill. And I think I said at the time that this could be the last meaningful piece of legislation that comes out of this Congress and that it could be 2023 before we get another large piece of legislation. And I I would stand by that. I don't think we're going to get an infrastructure bill. And I think that, that is largely due to the fact that the Biden administration got out over their skis in terms of what they wanted to call infrastructure. It's like they, when they won the Senate to great surprise and they realized, well, wait a second, we could, we could call anything infrastructure. We have the Senate. We have the House. We could pretty much do whatever we want without realizing that they needed cinema and they needed uh, mansion in West Virginia to actually get any of this stuff done. And so they pile all of this nonsense that isn't infrastructure into an infrastructure bill and then act surprised when the Republicans don't want to play ball. When I think that they could have passed something that was a relatively pared down infrastructure bill, and I know Biden has apparently this week come out with a counteroffer again, but it's still way too big for many Republicans' tastes. Uh, but if they had if they had done something that could have been sold and honestly packaged to the American public as, like, let's make our airports and roads and bridges awesome again, I think that would have had wide popular support, right. and they could have gotten that through a through a, a, a split Congress. But, but like I was saying just a second ago, if your interest is the issue, then you're you don't want to give this win to Biden, right? So like if like that's why even. Uh, what was it? So initially it was $2.3 trillion on the Biden side, and then the 10 Republican senators were hovering around $600 billion. And so over right. the weekend, the administration brought it down to $1.7 trillion in the hopes that maybe they'll go up to you know, $800, $900 billion or and maybe kind of meet like at $1.2 trillion or something like that. We're just kind of you – know, and a lot of times uh, things will be added to the bill knowing full well that – it'll be taken out afterwards as a negotiating tactic. And so maybe a lot. Right. Well, what was funny about that and you're right. And it's, so there were, there were chunks. It's like 
a hundred million dollars to this and a hundred million dollars to this and a hundred million dollars to this. And it was always a hundred million dollars. Exactly. Billion or million. It's like, Oh, you just, you just happen to figure well, out that it's a, that this nice round number is exactly what we need to do X, Y, and Z programs. Right. Uh, so it was obviously sort of thrown together in the idea that they will be hashed out later. Right. Uh, but at the same, I think the so I agree with you about the incentive, the incentives there. But the incentives work in the opposite way too. The Democrats don't want to give the Republicans any credit when this thing gets if done, it, if it were to get done. But if done. it does get done, nobody's going to care about the few Republicans that joined the Democrats. The president is going to get the credit for it. And also, just like uh, that January sixth commission, how. Initially, it was like, oh, we're going to send our uh, negotiators and you send your negotiators and come up with a deal, a framework for the commission. And then when it went through and they made the concessions, the Democrats made the concessions that the Republicans wanted, they said, never mind. Right. I suspect that if they did the back and forth with the even let's say Biden just said, you know what, Uh, because the Arizona senators and the West Virginia senator, uh, they don't want to. You know, rock the boat too much. I'm willing to come down to like 900 billion, and it'll be almost mostly like 90 percent actual traditional infrastructure. You still won't have more than just a couple of Republican votes, because the idea right. is just to kind of say we tried, and he, you know, they're being unreasonable, but they're two trillion dollars, right? Even if they came almost all the way to the Republican side, it wouldn't be in the interest of the Republican Party who are trying to. Right, and then McConnell would start mumbling about. Uh, the debt and deficit and all right. the rest of it. Right. So basically whatever. So- and yeah, I, I don't think that McConnell's position has changed since going back to 2009, essentially, right? Which is just we're going to do everything in our power to stop the Democrats no matter what. And in 2009, it was it was the Obama agenda, and now it's it's the Biden agenda. Right. Because basically, I mean, if you if – you, uh, they do the, the – some version of infrastructure, uh, and things are getting back to – decent let's say nothing goes wrong with uh you know whatever this fall and things are basically back to all the way normal in 22 it's, it's going to be hard to kind of mount a a campaign in the midterms you know to say right. what a disaster these last few years were hey were you familiar with the viral video uh, charlie bit my finger yeah yeah from like 10 years ago or whatever however long it was. yeah let's play play a little clip of that here real quick for just a second <coughs> It's wonderful. There's two little brothers. One of them chomps on the other one's finger, and they're charming little British boys, so it's it's doubly cute. So that video, which has racked up nearly a billion views on YouTube in the last decade plus, 15 years, I think, almost. I think it's from like 2007, 2008. Sold at auction for $760,000. Wow. Like that NFT thing? They said that they were going to remove the video from YouTube after auctioning it off so that it would no longer be freely available. Uh, barring, of course, the fact that like anybody who wanted to could have downloaded it over the course of the last 15 years and repurposed it for whatever reason. But the owners of the video were going to turn it into a non-fungible token 
and auctioned it off. And so they sold it for three quarters of a million dollars. And the plan, so as of right now, they're waiting to hear from the person who bought it whether or not they should remove it from YouTube or if he's going to, in his benevolence. And I'm assuming it's a man because I refuse to believe that there's a woman out there who is going to pay a million. And that is the some weird sexist or backwardsly sexist part of my brain says a woman couldn't possibly have spent a million dollars on a viral video from 15 years ago. It um, is a di- yeah, different kind of stupid. It was definitely a dude who did that. Uh, is this uh, a new approach? Because other like you know remember with the sports highlights that were making the rounds with the nfts they're still available on youtube like i thought the whole thing was that they can, they have like a i think they're trying to like they're trying to goose it they're trying to say this will truly like we'll we'll take down this one and then you'll get it and it will belong to you and then you can but, choose to do with it whatever you like but they like. do know how the internet works right it's once it's up Apparently, fucking somebody with a million dollars to blow doesn't know how the internet works and decided to go ahead and buy it. Is this a a sign of civilizational <laughs> decline, or am I exaggerating? It's it's really evolution, isn't it? This is uh, the next uh, thing. It just looks stupid now. I think it's more Darwin-y sort of, these people won't survive. The rest of us should just go on ahead without them. The people them. that are forking over 700 grand for this sort of stuff are the, probably the same type of people that have the, those like ridiculous yachts. Like I don't think this person's hurting for money, so they're just throwing it around like, oh, I'm going to speculate and maybe this uh, thing will take off. Is it possible that there's just uh, too much fucking money out there? Like is that <laughs> could the that concentration be of the, the money is like skewed, you know, but you know, there's, that would have been a lot of money. But some people just have a lot there's of a big it. story, a big story in the last year since since last March. The last 15 months or so, the, the markets bottomed out last March. All of the, the crypto markets even basically bottomed out last March. And since then, through th- what three or four rounds of stimulus, plus giant piles of unemployment, plus functionally free money pouring out of the Fed into institutional hands for the last year and a half, has effectively, like they've doubled the money supply almost in the last year and right. a half. And we don't appear to be feeling it in any serious way yet in terms of uh, day-to-day expenses. Now, groceries are more expensive than they were 15 months ago, but there are all sorts of reasons why, like we've had supply chain interruptions. It's not necessarily tied to the money supply. Uh, There are all sorts of reasons why things like the, for example, the cost of lumber has gone up because there was a great greater demand for lumber in the private sector, apparently, than there was in the entire building sector or the combination of the fact that the commercial sector was still looking for lumber and then the fact that like billions of people were stuck at home and wanted to build new decks or whatever. It's weird because I know for a fact that there are three trillion trees, so I don't know what the shortage is. (laughs) That's a good point. Um, I don't know if it's a good point. (laughs) Look into it. The point is that there's all of this excess cash floating around and maybe there's a reason that 15 months ago when Bitcoin was at like, it was down to like 9,000 before it started taking off. And then it was all the way up to like 33,000. It was stable down there, like in the 30s for a little while. And then it went on this crazy run over the course of the last year where it peaked at like 65 or $66,000 for a single Bitcoin. And since it's had something of a correction over the last uh, week or so, but it's not just Bitcoin. Bitcoin's sort of the big daddy that all of these other cryptocurrencies follow. Whether it's Ethereum, which is how all of these NFTs, all of the non-fungible token transactions happen, is on the 
Ethereum blockchain. And then there's like, you know, there's there's dozens of them, but then there's also the shit coins, the the coins that literally have no basis in any known reality, like the Dogecoin, which remarkably was at a fraction of a penny just months ago and is currently still holding in the 30 to 40 cent range for each individual doge. And this is something that there is an infinite supply of right. that is literally completely worthless. Like, is it possible that where we're seeing all of this excess money go is into not just the crypto markets, which are completely out of control, but also the capital markets in general, that something like a quarter of People who traded last year, within the last calendar year, had never traded before, had never owned stocks before, that with the advent of a whole bunch of new trading apps from Schwab and Robinhood and Fidelity, where it used to cost 5 or $6 to execute a single trade. With the advent of companies like Robinhood, it's forced everybody to come down to free, and now everybody's into the stock market. Right. I mean, the uh, the barrier to entry isn't what it used to be. Uh, all of these apps readily available. And it seems to be a lot of just uh, social media stuff like, oh, my, you know, idiot friend uh, speculated on something six weeks ago. And now look at him. You can buy two, two hamburgers, you know. So, like, it seems to be like a lot of people know somebody else who has done something. Uh, it's almost kind of like a social proof kind of thing. I did it and it's fine. And then. People trust to put their money into these apps, maybe start off low, and then just kind of build their way up. And so now you have a lot of people who have a little invested in the markets, and it's just kind of volatile the way it is now. Right. It's a very shitty way to do resource allocation, I think, is what it comes down to. And I, I know that there's not a great way to fix it, right? Like, So there's not a good top-down way, and that... It, it was way harder to figure out who needed the money than it is to just spray money everywhere, right? That's obviously way easier to do right. and is a is a better way of handling the situation. But doubling the money supply and not seeing any obvious meaningful impact on consumer prices means that that money has to go somewhere, right? right? And if people aren't able to do stuff, they're not able to go to concerts, they haven't been able to go to sports, right. They the only thing that we can do is buy another fucking streaming app and watch another uh, 47 hours of content every right. week, then what else are we going to do with this excess capital we have sitting around where we're, we're already conditioned to believe that money doesn't fucking mean anything anyway. Uh, and but you know, Dogecoin comes along and is like, well, no, seriously, it doesn't mean anything the fuck at all. So you might as well dump a couple of grand into that. Do you think there's a lot of a lot of people in the bottom 50 percentile of income or participating in these sort of things? It seems to me like it's like a middle class and up kind of thing. Even like if you're like lower middle class, and but it seems like a lot of people are barely making ends meet, and there's a lot of them. I mean, with the homelessness, right? And that's up. what I'm saying is that I, I agree with you that there's this top heavy distribution of of income has allowed just complete insanity to happen, both at the the actual capital markets level, whether it's the the Dow, like the the tech companies that are insanely overvalued, or whether it's these literally unhinged crypto markets that have literally no basis in reality. Like, you can't say it any clearer than that. It's just the case that Dogecoin has an infinite, an infinite supply and is only worth what some fucking moron is willing to pay for it. So as far as finding a mechanism to correct this, like, I mean, you know, I always fall back to doing nothing. Uh, but for these more speculative things, like, wouldn't it just be better just, I mean, these people are exposing their 
their money to these risks. And if it goes sideways, it goes sideways, right? So don't you think that's going to sort itself out at some point? Right. So that's but that's what's nuts is that so what in, in all likelihood, what you're seeing is a bunch of retail traders who are battling algorithms that they have no chance of succeeding right. against. So some idiot takes half his paycheck and dumps it into Dogecoin and then watches as it goes up and up and up and is like, oh, this is great. This is great. And then in like 20 minutes... All of the all of the gains can be right. completely erased, and you have no idea what happened. Like you can literally watch the ticker happen in any one of these apps, and it goes from being worth sixty cents to being worth thirty cents in the blink right. of an eye. And somebody who bought in at forty five cents has just lost a significant yeah. chunk of the of the money that they put in there, and doesn't even know why or what happened. And it all seems to be completely made up. So it's just. It's it's just a slot machine yes. uh, to, for these people, and the people who are getting fucked are the ones who cannot actually afford to lose that money. In the meantime, there are these whales who are able to move massive sums of institutional money with basically no oversight. Right, the only oversight that happens is quarterly disclosures of profits and right. losses and and positions in these things. But do you think there's anything that can be done yeah. about that, at least for those the people who can't take advantage of? It? Because the people, like you mentioned who don't have much and in the blink of an eye. And it seems like you don't always have the opportunity to withdraw. So like you're basically exposed. That's what's, that's what's nuts too. Is So not only do you not know when it's coming, but when the big crypto sell-off happened last week, half of these apps were just, you were just yeah. unable to move the thing out of your, right. so you, not only could you not sell it, you couldn't then get it out of the of the wallet either. So you're sitting there and you're watching as the Dogecoin price plummets in each second it's just getting lower right. and lower and you're like okay, sell, yeah, sell, yeah. sell, sell, sell and the app is like no, you're not allowed to right, right now. Nothing works right now. Sorry. Right. Come back later. So that's why I don't understand why anybody who's not like exceedingly rich would put too much money into that. If you want to just throw, you know, a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars or whatever you're comfortable with losing Right, betting betting on the ponies, right. basically, or yeah, betting on the stupid right. sports That's, games. You know, fun and entertainment. But if you're if it's a real investment, you're gonna have a heart attack because there'll be you're gonna overextend yourself, and then these things will screw you. They're not, you know, you're not their main clients, you know, so you're gonna get screwed by some sort of outage. Right. And all of that is even talking around the conversation that I sort of want to have, which is that, like, so one of my my youngest brother sells NFT art. He's in this weird artist collective community where he's creating GIFs and photos online and selling them for money. And in a, in not to the degree that like Charlie bit my finger just sold for a million fucking right. dollars, but like, you know, not insignificant amounts of money. And there's this and I haven't talked to him about it. I'm sure that when we finally do get together and talk about it, it will be a very annoying conversation <laughs> for both of us. Uh, you don't get it, old but, man. <laughs> you know. That's right. And I find myself watching the Ethereum price and like rooting for it to go down, which is a terrible instinct of mine. <laughs> uh, I sometimes hope the Braves lose because it makes you sad and it's kind of funny that you get so sad about a baseball game. Right. So it's the same. Yeah, similar. But anyway, like, so I think that there's an element of this, like, especially in at the lower level where this is like a community of people and they're basically just trading JPEGs and GIFs back and forth uh, saying, oh, yeah, I want to support the other people in the community. So when somebody makes something and they have a couple of Ethereum lying around, they can, like, 
they can buy it or whatever. So I get it. But it's also you're basically just like doing Pokemon trading cards. Yeah. That's like exactly that. <laughs> what it's like. It's like Pogs. It's, it's, po- it's Pogs. It's Pokemon. It's any of the other stupid bullshit. It's exactly the same thing. It's baseball cards. Right. Like it's it's that level of like something that is actually completely worthless. But because you've invested all of this emotion into it. And now so it's different than baseball cards in a way, though, because the feeling that I get from it is that these people are 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 pouring like this moral weight into it in the same way that everything like we were talking about last week with uh, every everything is so certain all of the right. time. The way that these people talk about this is as though this thing is just it's like freighted with this additional morality, which like, no, you're just trading Pokemon cards back. So you don't think maniacs. see it that way, uh, that it's like a fun, harmless side hobby thing? You think people are like, oh, I'm changing the world with my GIF? I mean, a lot of people who talk, talk about crypto in exactly that way, right? That people talk about cryptocurrencies as a way to empower individuals to actually be able to make a difference in the world with the way that they... With, with the medium of exchange. It's like taking power back from the banks and the institutional powers that have fucked the every man uh, without realizing that the institutions have completely overtaken Bitcoin yeah, and, sh- and the other cryptos. I'm sure the bankers are doing... I'm sure they're investing in some of this stuff too, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the only way that you can get these wild swings is if there are people who have enough money... If there's enough going on where you can say, okay, I'm going to sell $100 billion worth of Bitcoin right now, that's going to tank the fucking price, right? Because right. now all of a sudden there's this like gigantic pile of Bitcoin and there's not enough buyers. And that's what happens in a free market, right? The price automatically is going to go down because the supply is suddenly too high. And it's perfectly suited uh, for a bank because they have everybody else's money. And you just, that's you right. just spend it on whatever. But yeah, you know, you don't want to dump too much on on things that people care about and and brings them meaning. But who are you? What the you fuck love are doing I that? I do. I love doing it. Uh, like, what the fuck are you doing here? I mean, I I cannot wrap my head around it. We are literally talking about JPEGs and GIFs right. that that are just completely ubiquitous. They're completely worthless. They're just free but, everywhere, and people are spending real sums of money on. But you them. don't think like. You don't buy the argument that if there's a way to to add a signature to one particular JPEG and one particular GIF or one particular whatever that separates it from all the others, then that one has value. And then people decide what that value is. Like if you kind of simplify it to that, then it's no different than all the other things. Then yes, I think that they're making a mistake about what value, what is valuable. Yes, right, but I think because they're making the, the thing is with like, like you know the goofy art stuff, right? You know they have these people who look into it to, to, to authenticate that this is the real painting of whatever. At least the art itself had value. Like it seems like here. They're just kind of sharing certain things that don't have value on their own. So I think that there is a good there's a good reason to compare this to the high end art market, which is that there is no such thing as a painting that is worth three hundred million dollars, right. right? Or whatever the whatever the record breaking right. price is, I forget what it is. But there's no Picasso that's worth seventy million dollars. It's worth whatever this rich asshole yeah. is willing right. to pay for it. But there's no moral justification for expending that amount of 
resources that could go somewhere else on a stupid piece of uh, canvas that's going to hang in a bank vault somewhere. Right. Like it, it's just at that point, it's just a store of value. And it only has value because there are enough other rich assholes out there who'd be willing to trade you money for it later down the line. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have inherent artistic value in an important way, but there's no there's no action like you cannot justify the cost of high end art only, in that way. The only way you can justify it is basically the simple formula, you know, if you're willing to pay one dollar more than the next guy, it's just worth whatever that is. You know, so if somebody else was bidding them up to right, that but point. The, the, but I think it's worth pointing out that a, a moral mistake is being made there in an important way. Uh, and I don't think that's terribly controversial. Right. Like, but <laughs> I don't think that most people would say that you that it is good that that art matters so much that somebody should pay a hundred million dollars for a piece of canvas. Right. But what would be the alternative? Okay, we're going to cap it at eleven million, and you got to play Mario Kart, and the winner pays eleven million and gets the painting. <laughs> right. You know, like you know, they have yes. salary caps. I'd have a basement full of Picassos <laughs> at that point. I but know you that much. Eleven million dollars. But <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. You also aren't that good at Mario Kart. <laughs> I'm pretty good at <laughs> Mario Kart. That would be funny Kart. if you cobble together enough to, to clear the first hurdle and you got your ass kicked <laughs> in the Mario Kart. I would. I'd get my – my brother Jesse would kick my ass and he'd he have would. he'd He's have a basement full of you. my Picassos, the bastard. <laughs> All right, so I don't have a – I wanted to do a philosophy class with you. Let's, uh, I'm going to zip up the WJAS news bag there. I wanted to do philosophy class with Abe, but I couldn't settle on anything to talk about. So instead, we'll have a sort of free-form few-minute discussion here about something that I think we've probably talked about in the past. And I don't know if we've talked about it on the show or not, in part because it feels like whenever I want to talk about it, two things are happening in my mind at once, which is one, I know that people will immediately dismiss me as simply being a purely privileged asshole for having the position that I have and that, that no amount of me trying to defend myself will do anything to stop people from having that idea in their heads about me because of it. And also because it feels self-aggrandizing to have the position that I have. But I will put aside those concerns for the moment and simply say that it is interesting to me the way that people so quickly and happily adopt labels, whether it's feminist or anti-racist or African-American or man or any, any, or white or any of a million different labels that they happily apply to themselves and others. And I have always fucking hated it. Like I've never wanted, like there's not, you could like even atheist, atheist is like a terrific example of a label that I don't want to hang around my right. neck, no matter how true or accurate uh, it might reflect a comprehensive understanding of my position on the on the question of God. Uh, I still don't want to hang that label around my neck, and I've I've always fucking hated it, and I don't understand why people are so quick and pr and proud even to adopt labels. And it's funny because most of my friends who have stuck with me on the long term who I still communicate with like if there's a unifying thing there I think that that's pretty consistent among that group right and and that's interesting to me like as you for example not to not to falsely label you as a non-label guy <laughs> also or a friend 
or a friend. Yeah. <laughs> Stuck with yeah. Simply, simply a co-host here most of the time. I'm in it for the money, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been working on a number. I got a lot of balls in the air. A lot of a lot of different NFTs that I'm trying to get together. We, to, we should just have all of our podcasts be NFTs and make eleven dollars. We're going. That's right. But like you strike me in that exact same way that you have a sort of antipathy for being labeled in any particular way, yes. uh, and don't think of yourself as being belonging to any particular group. Yeah, either. ever since I was young, I hated groups in general or any sort of thing like ism or whatever. But I've always, I've always understood why people do label themselves and whatever. You know, like a lot of people, normal people, Bob, are into community and like finding common cause with other people so they're kind of signaling that hey i am this and so are you and then you know you have something to kind of wrap your mind around uh and so i've always kind of understood why people do that and also you know how with the 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 memes online these days where there'll be some new meme format structure that will be used and it gets some use online and then people will then take that and apply it to something else. So basically you're telling somebody else, Hey, something you're familiar with and I'm making some minor changes to make a point that I want to make. Right. So they're using it as a means of communicating and identifying. So in that context, it makes sense why people are like, I am a LGBT this, or I'm a whatever, you know, because then somebody else is like me too. And then look at that. They're best friends. So it, can you have that thought without it being a sort of condescending thought? Because that that the way it feels <laughs> no, the way it but... feels in my head is that that it's sort of a condescending way of talking about other people. Because what is it about me that says I don't need that sense of well, community? Well, you're labeling yourself as someone who doesn't need labels, first of all. So I'm not. So yeah, sure, cute rhetoric, but I don't think that's what I'm doing. I think that I'm honestly yeah, have you're always being been, honest. been of the position that. I don't want any like so something that your mother does constantly with oh, me. Oh, I know what for, my mother does constantly. Sure, but for as long as I've known her, she's been desperate to pin down I my know. political ideology into an identifiable label that she can then categorize and say, "Oh, well, you're a libertarian who would or you're a conservative with libertarian or, leanings or you're can, she's like, "Can you just give me one politician who you like so that I can then in my head yeah. for the next 30 years so, say, "Okay, so Bob likes X. That must mean these various other things about Bob." And I'm like constantly like, "No, I don't want to answer that question because I know what you're going to do with the information on the so long run." So there's two separate things happening and one is that you're being genuine where like when you hear yourself say words like, why is everyone got to label themselves? You can hear a different person who's an asshole saying that to say all lives matter, basically. I know that you're not doing that, so it's not condescending. But also, you are noticing all the people labeling themselves as usual through the fucked up lens through which you see the world. Because it's Twitter. You're not seeing all the people not labeling themselves. Like, I don't think it's so rare. Right. Well, I just, as I said at the top, like, I have in some way magnetics or gravity or whatever. The people that have been yeah. drawn into my life and who have stuck as as meaningful friends seem to share whatever that is. And that's yeah. what I'm curious about is what what is the thing about the goofy... Most people are normal. Most people don't label themselves 
or they don't necessarily immediately do that unless they're with other people with that label in that moment. A lot of people do like, I mean, maybe they just casually mention it. That it's not their primary identity, but people do like throwing labels around as a person of color or as a this or as a that or, you know, whatever. But I will say, at least from my point of view, I don't think one way is better or worse. It's not like I, I'm like fighting off the urge to label myself. I just, it doesn't suit yeah. me. So I just don't do it. And I assume that it suits them and it worked for them. Right. So like. I don't think there's one way to go about doing things. Right. So but so you can say it works for them, but do you think that with any amount of interrogation they would a be able to defend no, it? But, but because that's that's the thing that that's the thing that I don't buy. So that's why I automatically go to it's sort of condescending to say, well, that just you, works you, for them and that's great. When when if you had a conversation with one of your friends who's like happy to identify as whatever, uh, Democrat, LGBT, right. uh, African American, whatever whatever the label is, a feminist, and you interrogate those things, and you say, "Well, but you don't believe this the way that X, Y, and right, Z would automatically believe, right?" So, like, it is sort of this thing where they're they're faking it, where they're they're going along to get along. Well, okay, I mean, if maybe it's because that's how you think, and I kind of think like that sometimes. But like, if you were to like list all of the the things that a fem feminist supports like each one i bet you like 99 percent of those things i would be for right but i wouldn't label myself a feminist right but at the end right, that, that's what's nuts is that if you presented a coherent and cogent list of things that are completely unobjectionable to me from a human rights standpoint right about right. feminism right and you can do it it's not hard there's nothing wrong with wanting equality of the sexes right, right? like or or whatever However, we're supposed to frame that now. Like you're saying, you could present that whole list to me, and I would still, at the end of the day, like extremely bristle at the idea of saying, yes, you can go ahead and call me a feminist because I believe all of those things on that right. list. Like I still don't want to be on that list. Right, because basically it becomes the, the, the name or the branding becomes something else, just like what happened with the Black Lives Matter thing, right, where it's just like a very simple statement and then you – other people attach random things to it. It's like, oh, the BLM types are into all of these things. So it goes beyond. Right. And even, but even, even if it hadn't calcified in the awful way that it did, where it became like there are Republicans who go to city council meetings and say that BLM is a uh, terrorist organization, right? right? Or like, like even Marxist, if that hadn't happened, whatever, you know, the, you know, right. Even if it hadn't turned into the worst possible version that it ended up turning into. There's still no fucking way I'm putting a Black Lives Matter sign on my front yard. Despite, like, and that sounds like an awful thing to say out loud in the current political moment, right? right? But there's there's just literally no way that it's going to right. happen. See, and that it's because I'm never going to put any fucking sign in my front right. yard. And it doesn't have anything to do with the content of right. the sign. But that's how I am too. But like I said, you don't see how – I mean I'm not talking about people are being insincere. There are people that are sincere and it – there's a value to them saying this is what I believe or this is what I'm for. It's just a different way of expressing yourself. It doesn't mean it's wrong. I wouldn't do it, but I guess. Know, they're into that sort of stuff. But then I just start thinking of it like you just want the convenient shorthand of not having to actually interrogate the things that you believe. And I think that goes for— It's church. It's the same as right. church. Right. And I think the atheism thing is, is interesting because I do. I would— object strenuously to anyone trying to label me as an atheist, despite the fact that I absolutely do not believe that there is a 
theistic god up there, out there, who created the universe. And literally, I reject the tenets of the all of the major Abrahamic religions. I reject any of the anybody who tries to take seriously any notion of God. Right. Like I just don't. I I disagree. And in fact, I have a moral framework that says. So, so a better label, and I would still reject this label, is, would be anti-theist. Like, I reject the possibility that there could be such a thing as a God who created everything, who could exist in a moral universe. Right. That the, the, the thing that you're setting up as a possibility is in complete contravention of what I how I understand a moral universe could possibly exist. And so I would be opposed—I would find myself having to be opposed to this— creature or this being should it turn out that I'm right. wrong, right? So like that's how opposed I am. And yet still I want nothing to do with those labels. And I don't know why. I because don't know. there's baggage to la- because some other asshole who also has the same label as you takes a shit in the park and they're like, hey Bob, aren't I one of your people? Look what they did. You know, so it's like, no, no, no. Yeah. We think similarly on this one issue, but we're not the same. We're not like, you know, we're not a community. Like he's just some schmuck, you know? Right. And so like, right. It's like, it's a control thing. Basically you want to reserve always the right to, uh, explain yourself instead of people saying, well, you're like that atheist or you're like that Republican or you're like that, uh, you know, whatever it may be. It's better just to say, how about I just explain my thoughts about specific issues? Cause you know, there's nuance always. And, and instead of saying, I'm a feminist right. or I'm a this. Right. And by the exact same token, I do my best to never stick labels on anybody that they haven't adopted for right. themselves, right? Like, it, it's colossally shitty of me to think of someone as a black American or an Asian American or like, like it's to the, it's to that point where I think that I am doing some sort of a, I, I'm actually doing a moral harm by labeling someone ahead of right. time, right? Without having a conversation with them by, by assuming anything. So I'd formulated a ethical law that I believe is basically, I mean, I don't want to say that I've come up with an infallible moral law of the universe <laughs> or whatever, but but there's no other way to put it, so. But I did. <laughs> you gotta give me a second to think of it now that I'm embarrassed about it. Uh, there's nothing intelligent or moral to be said about an individual based on the perceived or actual characteristics of any group to which that individual is said to belong, and the reverse is also true. There is nothing intelligent or moral to be said about a group based on the characteristics of an individual member of that group. And that goes both for self-identity and external identity, right? What, whatever it is that you would say about yourself or whatever it is that I might say about you in terms of which groups you belong to, I, it, is, it is core to my being for whatever reason, and I don't have a good explanation for it, that thing that I just said, that there's, there's nothing that I can say about someone, an individual and any of their characteristics that speaks to anything about any group that they could be said to belong to, and also in reverse, that nothing that you would attempt to say about a group can have any intellectual or or moral weight applied to any one of the constituent members of that group. And, I mean, that's why, obviously, I reject any larger associations. I I think that is true, but... You do have to consider that again. It's these 
groups and identities for serve other purposes. One of them that I overlooked is survival and protection. You know, like if you are, um, uh, I, I wear a lot of red clothing, you know, I'm in this gang and uh, I'll be protected. Uh, you know, not me personally, but, you know, my group, the group will protect me from the harm that may come from a rival group, you know, and you can apply that to other settings where pe people may believe in something. So like if you're, let's say you're a feminist, but you're not an articulate person to raise your point and there's like a really good person who can articulate the point you can't yourself and then just point to them to say, yeah, what that person said. Right. So, but there's an irony there, right? Which is that the, the thing that, and this goes back to what we were talking about last week, that we've sorted in such a way that if I'm going to share a piece written by someone and I agree with most of it and they say some things in there that I don't agree with, but they happen to be on they play for the wrong team. Right. Like it's a it's a feminist, and the person who's reading it is an anti-feminist right. for whatever goofy reason they've come a up chauvinist. with. That, sure, a chauvinist. Well, they wouldn't call themselves that, obviously, right? They'd call the themselves boys, a men's right activist or something like that. Proud boys are chauvinists, right? Sure. What I'm saying is that it's no it's no longer the case that you can share a, a piece on Facebook or on Twitter or something without basically having to stand behind everything right. that is said right. in it, right? And people try to fluff it up and they say things like, well, retweets are not endorsements and I don't agree with everything that happens to show up on my Twitter feed or whatever. But there's less of that now right. even, right? Like people don't step outside of whatever group it is, whatever lane it is that they believe that they belong to, whatever identity markers that they've established they belong to, somebody outside of that lane, somebody outside of that identity group, they can't be allowed to have made a good point right. because they don't believe the rest of the right things. Right. And that that's, that's weird. Yeah, because that, that's the problem. I mean, you know, there are drawbacks to every system. So the upside is, you know, you're part of a larger group and community, blah, blah, blah. The, the downsides are... It's inflexible, and you're kind of associated with everything uh, under that umbrella, you know. So, like, if you're on the other side and you're like, no, no, I just want to be a la carte, you know. I don't want to be a bundle of <laughs> ideas. I just want each separate issue to stand on its own, and let me make the case for each case. Then, you know, you don't have any group protection, but at least you have the flexibility. Right, and that, but that's anathema now, too, right? Like, it, I, like what, I, what I said at the very beginning of this conversation is that I will be dismissed— by large segments of people from all sorts of political persuasions, all sides, for s simply either I'm lying, right, right, or I'm just a privileged asshole who thinks that he can uh, walk around the world man-spreading his ideas everywhere right. and never having to pay any consequences right. for them, right? Well, And I, the, I just – I reject right, that. But the criticism – this is all hypothetical. If anybody listened, uh, we would have criticism, but the criticism would be basically it's like – it doesn't matter whether you recognize the association, you are associated with being a man and you're associated with being a white man. And so, like, you get all of the benefits that come with it. You know, there'll be some goofy argument like that. There's nothing really you could do about any sort of argument like that. You could just continue on living your life. But that would be the case that they would make. But there's nothing, you know, all you could do is just make the case for whatever you believe in. I don't know if we got anywhere with that discussion or if that was interesting to anybody, but there's something about that conversation that we had last week about moral certainty and the extent to which everybody is is just so absolutely positive of things uh, up up until they're not anymore, and then they're just completely positive <laughs> of something else. Uh, that. But you say everybody, and that's where I just 
you're just super wrong about everybody being that way. Lots of people are that way. They're all on Twitter. Okay, but it's how most people perform, certainly, right? It's like, not. It's how some people perform. You're not wrong in total. It's it's just the superlative. Like, everybody is not that way. Most okay, people sure, see gray areas. Okay, sure, but it's a fucking news and culture podcast, and so I'm going to have to paint with something of a broad brush here. Uh, and I certainly don't mean everybody. That would be blatantly hypocritical uh, based on all of the things that I just got done saying for the last 20 minutes. And again, like recognizing again my hypocrisy about even stating things like how everybody seems so certain now is a declarative sentence that is that right. is certain in its own conviction. Well, I mean, but it's uh, always been the case where like nuance usually loses out to black or white thinking or like yes. this or that. Like it can't just be like, oh, that shitty person made a good point like that article from well and things can't just be complicated right. you can't just say well it's complicated but also complicated <laughs> and like very like wishy-washy or like you know uh the example you were saying earlier with how people want to pin you down ideal oh who's your favorite this so we can kind of have some idea about what you believe because anything that doesn't fit in a a, a nice little bucket is kind of yeah. It fucks with the brain. It's just like, what is going on? This is unsettling. Yeah, and maybe some of it is just like I want to have the conversation. Like I just enjoy right. – like I would rather not there be a shortcut to understanding whatever it is that we're talking about. Right. I'd rather just fucking talk it out because it's fun to me to have these conversations. Right. I mean obviously right. here we yeah. are. <laughs> there was one other quick thing I wanted to mention before we go into the end game here, which is that – did you watch 60 I, Minutes this weekend? I watched it today. Right, so Leslie Stahl, the, the lead story from 60 Minutes this weekend was about the the trans issue, which, by the way, for some reason, people are out there having conversations about what is the next big thing going to be, about like the, the next big moral question. And it's so obviously we're going to be dealing with the trans thing for the next few years. Like that's We've been in it now for a couple of years, and it's only, the, the whole gender and and sex and trans thing will be at the forefront of the culture wars for the foreseeable future. And there's, there, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that. And not to point to the score, uh, the scoreboard, but the right have, haven't won too many of these culture wars, but yes. And that's why like, and the continual loss on the, on this front is what will allow it to stay alive in the, in the discourse. Right. Uh, especially as, and as we've said a couple of weeks ago, people just make increasingly absurd and outlandish claims about uh, sex and gender. Right. But the the bulk of that I don't want to talk about uh, because it's not terribly interesting to me. But what I knew watching Leslie Stahl interview people who had detransitioned, right, because they, she makes the point over and over again, as far as we can tell, even though there are no hard and fast numbers, there's there's never really been a study an actual scientific study done uh, to figure out what the statistics are here, it is vanishingly rare that people who transition from one gender to another want to, quote-unquote, detransition back to the gender that they previously identified right. as. Uh, MTV True Life did an episode about it like 10 years ago. Where they went uh, back. So she makes, the, she makes mm -hmm. that point over and over again. That this is rare. But then the fact is they did interview like four or five people who had done the detransition thing and and had had regrets after they went on hormone therapy or after they had 
had surgery. And my feeling watching that was this is going like Leslie Stahl is going to be canceled on Twitter before the hour is over. And people are going to be talking about how this is a, a hate piece against trans people because they interviewed people who who had detransitioned. And, and, and they're making that argument not because they dispute uh, whether or not the people in the story are telling the truth or not. Basically, they're accepting that to be true, right? So they're saying the the people that they interviewed actually did go through the process as they explained and and the and the some of the criticism i think one of them was saying oh it's so it was like too easy like all of the all of the obstacles that are apparently there for you to like make sure that you want to go through with this are, are just kind of like the simple like whatever if you say so i'll sign off on this and you can do whatever right so well and that's the same with getting opiates like right but it seems like the we just have a shitty, shitty healthcare in this country, right? But it's- well, part of it is because if you deny somebody, if if somebody who's transgender goes and talks to a shrink, and the shrink is like, "Yeah, I don't think that that's the that- case," then they're denying their lived experience the- or whatever, and then the trans kid goes home and, and kills himself. Right. So they don't want that that's, either. That's what I don't understand because one of the the people that they were interviewing, and I think she went back. I think she's one of the people that tran- detransition, and she was big. Be- like she was over eighteen, and she was like kind of criticizing the process. It's like at some point, I mean, you do have to go through all these different steps, but they they have to take you at your word, you know, over a period of time, you know, like. Right, but if so, if if you're one of these kids who spent the age of between twelve and eighteen on Tumblr for six hours a day in this like bizarro land of gender queer studies, right. where it's just a bunch of people back and forth self reinforcing this nonsense, and then like you you are that is your truth. You're completely convinced that you belong in another kind of like. And I don't know. I I do not know. That is not really the conversation right, no, but that I wanted on, to have on that front. Basically, there is no perfect system, and so. The closest to perfect is that occasionally you'll have these kind of stories, but it seems like the criticism the day after was you're highlighting a very small subset of the experience, uh, and and in doing so, you're kind of giving the people who are against the transgender issue as a whole ammunition to use against when they're trying to push these bills throughout all, all the states. So it's like, is, is 60 Minutes, like, should they take that into consideration? Should they, when they're deciding, when they're doing story pitch ideas, to say, we can't interview these people because... Right, we have to do, we have to do 99 stories about people who happily transitioned from male to female or female to male and are currently living their best life right. before we do one story about somebody who made the transition and is not. And and my response to that is you're out of your fucking right. mind because that, that's like saying that we need to go and do 99 stories about the criminal justice system where everything went perfectly right. swell <laughs> and everybody who's in jail is in jail because they're guilty. And then, and then once a year or so, uh, because we occasionally convict and sentence to death somebody who was innocent and who didn't belong on death row, then we can very occasionally talk about uh, this outlier case, right. uh, which is insane. Right. Like that's the sort of thing where the you had this big blow up on Facebook the last time I can remember you being in a Facebook controversy yourself. <laughs> How long ago that was wasn't, this? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. seriously. But it was some of your friends were mad at you because you stuck by the precept that. Uh, it's bad oh, that's right. to send that that it's better to send ten guilty men free than to allow one innocent man to rot in jail. Right. right? Like so that's like a foundational meme of the 
Western justice system, right? Like it's, right. like it's just it's just what it is that we don't want innocent people rotting in jail, and we would rather make it harder for guilty people to go to jail than to f- send innocent people to jail. And everybody didn't like that, but that to me is exactly what's going on here with these people freaking out about highlighting right. people who didn't who, who regretted making the transition, right. uh, which is that it's the outlier cases that matter in terms of preventing. A great deal of harm and irreversible harm in a lot of cases. Right, and, and uh, I think uh, Leslie Stahl kind of gave voice to that, where they said that you know they were kind of anticipating the criticism. They're saying that just by us highlighting these stories, you know, the critics say blah 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 blah. Right, that's because you cannot ask a question about this because it is completely certain, and it's the same thing that we were talking about last week which is that this is an absolute moral certainty that anybody who says I was born in the wrong body just needs to be allowed freely to transition to another gender and that any questioning of that narrative is anti-trans bullshit, right? And that that, that will only perpetuate more violence and harm on trans individuals. Right, but in in if that's true, then what do they do with the few – you know, I, I, we don't have any hard numbers, but the few, like the people in the story, casualties of war, just, right? But that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, if they just kind of absorbed it as like a cost of, you know, of, of doing business, you know, they, 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 I think they, they would be concerned that they would get criticized by saying, look, they don't, they don't care about any sort of negative consequences of these actions, in in some cases irreversible actions, right? So they kind of have to... Yeah, unless, unless you believe you're walking on the sides of the angels and that everyone else is is, is perpetuating hell, that that either that that we are right and they are wrong right. and it doesn't none of none of the details matter here, right? right? And and yeah, sure it's sad or whatever, but those five people who detransitioned, they're still alive, they're still fine. And in the meantime, we have all of these other made-up numbers. And that's the other thing. Is it's just completely made right. up because nobody's actually done the work to figure out uh, what the numbers are here. It's such a random and rare – like, I mean, this impacts so few people. It's remarkable that it's, it's kind of gotten so much attention that it's now basically like yeah. a wedge issue. I mean, even like – I don't know what the, the rates are, but like when the gay marriage issue came up, this is like an even smaller group. And they're trying to make hay out of it instead of way smaller yeah. group. And instead of just building a road or whatever, it's like let's talk about this for forever. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter, and just head to brainiron.com, or you can go to castironbrains.com if that's easier. Feel free to share the show with your friends and loved ones if you want them to know that you are labeled. As a cast iron brains listener, and all of what that entails. By the way, uh, a quick uh, follow up on the uh, that the blow up on Facebook. I was able to explain to all of the people that were making all those comments uh, that that quote by saying, "No, no, you're not just literally letting go of guilty people. You're constructing a system that it urged on the side of caution that it would you would sooner let 
an innocent person. You're not actually like they're because they're, they're just so focused on like why would you let you know that they're guilty and just letting him go? It's like no, you're constructing the <laughs> system, and they're like oh okay then yeah that's fine. It's like as long you as you start to like, free the people yeah. who you're sure are guilty. Right. Yeah. Once again, once out. again, my main problem is thinking that other people have thought about these things for more than like two and a right. half seconds. Because it's just like literally right. like wow ten like can we talk of that? Like you know, it's like no no you're missing the whole. Point, but okay. <laughs> Continue. Opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig, who is forever associated with the show, whether he likes it or not. Oh, he has to wear that fucking label. He wants to disassociate label. it? He wants to de-transition Bob and Abe show? Uh, what did we do this weekend? Like I said, Andrew and Dre yeah, were here. We about it. Had a blast. Watched some sports. I wanted to watch that new Zack Snyder zombie film, but we're not going to watch that till next we'll weekend. We'll watch it when my friend comes next weekend. What is it called? Uh, Army of the Dead. Is that the one where they like CGI'd like a guy who like rapes somebody out of the film? Yeah. So Chris. Yeah, and Chris they CGI Delia, Tig Notaro in it. Yeah. Who's an incredibly to to me unfunny person? Like I've who. Chris D'Elia, D Chris apostrophe. D'Elia? Yeah, D'Elia. D'Elia, yeah. He had an NBC sitcom, I think, for a couple oh, of years. Oh, yeah, that guy's super rapey. He With played Whitney. a rapey guy on that show. That's what I uh, heard. Yeah, and then he turned out to be that. Right. Good work. So, by the way... Oh, he's from Montclair, New Jersey. Yeah, so they, they digitally removed him from the film, and then they plugged Tignataro in, and apparently Dave Bautista, who plays the lead in the movie, still hasn't met Tignataro. Yes. Despite the fact that they're like in the movie for half the running time together, which is <laughs> both like weird and cool. And there were some like pronoun continuity errors. Like from what I, I haven't watched the movie, but like it's a he at the beginning and a oh, she. Okay. It's, it's like a bit of a jumble. Well, that's weird. You'd think they could have fixed that easily enough with uh, with some dubbing, but yeah, <laughs> that's right. Bring back. Anyway, the I guess dubbing. we'll. I'm gonna watch that next weekend. We can talk about that maybe. But by the way, so not to get off on a tangent here, does Chris Delia or De- whoever he is, does he get paid? Because he did all the work, right? I think he still yeah, gets paid. Yeah, he did have to get paid. Yeah, I'm so sure he still got clear. his. He still got his check. They still made the so like what is the virtue here that's actually being done in taking the ad now I understand maybe you don't want to hire him again in the future. Right. But like are people not gonna watch your movie on Netflix because you had a problematic person yeah. in it? Yeah. Well, it, at least you'll get a lot of bad press, you know, as far as whether that impacts the viewership. Remember uh, and I think he's back now, uh Kevin Spacey, they had to CGI him out of a movie like four or five years ago, like all the money in the world. Uh, and now I think it was Christopher Plummer that replaced them, but they had to do a lot of CGI to get him out. He probably got the money anyways because he did all the work. It's just not going to show up. Uh, and I think he's now doing some movie in Italy. Uh, it probably depends on their he's contract doing a and their movie agent. in Italy. He's yeah, doing. Is, a, yeah, he's going to play a guy who is falsely accused of being a pedo <laughs> in Italy, which is like, <laughs> come on, man. We need to. Uh, scrutinize the casting system they, they're so lazy they never put any thought into it just oh yeah i got you for this role you could be a pedophile i don't know that's that's a larger conversation for another time but are we allowed to watch the usual suspects now or should the usual suspects be no, digitally it's, altered that's a very to personal include? question it's not yeah. a grandfather it clause you know no, if it happened it's, in it's the past. different so, but, for so everyone where is the where is the line then because to Soren me and daniel talked about this they'd already made the chris delia movie and it was there and right. he'd already cashed the check 
just let it like, and I'm sure that Tignataro is very, she's a very charming and funny individual. And I'm sure that I will appreciate her performance in the film, which makes me think that they should have just cast her in the fucking first place. But it seems like a whole bunch of work, uh, for like literally no benefit, which is that right. Chris D'Elia no, is not raping anybody. No, uh, it'll by probably make the movie, movie better if I don't have to look at a guy that I know raped people. They, like they did. It's they. You can't take him. You can't take Kevin Spacey out of Usual Suspects. But they right. haven't released this movie. They can right. plug someone else in. They Although, did it. We'll see how it the, goes. That, sh- that should be the next thing. Retroactively CGIing Cosby out of things and uh, the, that that '70s show Scientology guy who got accused of some shenanigans. Right. That'll be the future. Dubbing and CGI. Yeah, we'll see. But you know. We didn't like it when George Lucas did it. It's very personal. I still love Louis C.K. Yeah. I, but I don't insist everyone else do it. Everybody's different. We can all have I, our things. Full disclosure, I watched some highlights of uh, O.J. Simpson when he was playing football. Not the murderers. Yeah, it's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. You can do that. This is America. He was also were you, quit it, so. were you like um, standing in your living room, like just standing up holding a beer, like, get him, Juice, go, do it. <laughs> he did it in 14 games. I mean, it was a different time back then, 2,000 yards. <laughs> so besides reliving OJ's glory days, what did you do this weekend? Did you see anything? Did you go to the movies? I went to the movies. To, speaking of reliving, I went to watch uh, the original Top Gun in a Dolby theater. Oh, and, oh yeah? Uh, that's did not, they, is it, was it's the, the one sound, with the volleyball. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's stuff. right. There is volleyball in that movie. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. The movie was very, like, 80s cheesy. I just kind of laughed through it. But I bring it up because of the previews beforehand. So there's this movie coming out next month called In the Heights. And it's another oh, yes. Manuel movie. Oh, man. Is this guy all no, just dancing it. and singing? No, because here's the problem with this movie. Yeah. I've read all of these really good reviews, which made me think it was coming out. Last weekend, I have to wait till June 11th. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, it's like three weeks from now. Calm or something. down, everyone. Yeah, but apparently, it's getting great reviews. But the oh, whole it's thing gonna is be just great. look at me dancing. Yeah, well, in the so it pool. was the play, the musical that he wrote before Hamilton. Oh, so this is be- okay. So this mm-hmm. is not his next. Except, okay. except he's not the lead in it. The guy who's yeah. good is the lead. The in guy it. who's good. See, he's he wisened up. He's like, you know what? Yeah. Get me yes. out. Well, he's still but in. But I watched it. the preview and I still felt that same thing that I felt of course watching you did. Hamilton. It's still the same, but it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Oh, I, I hate it already. It, I cannot. I'm excited cannot to watch wait it. Wait to hate the shit out of it. That's fine. <gasps> we can all watch it together. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, you uh, you got anything else for us tonight, Abe? Nope. All right, well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. And we will talk to you next time. Later. And this is the hackiest possible thing, as I'm speaking it now, that you can do is complain about air travel, right? It's just awful. They want to charge, like, $70 to check the first bag. So you can have a carry-on item. But in order to check... A piece of luggage is seventy dollars on top it's of unacceptable is what for, it is. The already inflated That's price crazy. for the tickets. No, it's I'm doing them a favor by letting them take my bag. <laughs> You're fucking welcome, airline. You should charge me to not check a bag. Right. It speeds up the flight. It makes it so you can put more people on the plane, and you're charging me to take my bag. Fuck you. 
Fuck the airlines. I don't think I've ever heard of that high of a price for an additional bag. Your carry-on's still free. Your thing that slows down right. everybody getting on and off the plane, that's still free. Right, that's the thing, is it incentivizes the wor- That's what makes me crazy, is that it incentivizes the worst possible traveler behavior, which is to try to get the biggest possible bag right. into the airplane and then above this, uh, either under the seat or into the overhead storage, which just makes the entire experience worse for everyone as grandma tries to yank right. down the 40-pound overhead bag and and uh, takes out three people while she's and doing it. And isn't it true that if there are too many carry-on bags, they'll check some of them in for free? For an yes. Addition. Right, so for free. So they say, well, we have too Although many people on this plane. some airlines have stopped doing that. They'll right, charge you Right, because people now. started saying, well, fuck yeah. it. I'm not going to prepay this right. fee. If I can't get it on the plane, they're going to check it for me for free anyway. So fuck so that you. Would be, that is kind of like a game of chicken. It's like, who's going to blink first? Like, I'm just going to carry it on in the hopes that you... Right, and it fucks the rule yeah. followers, as yeah. usual. It's the assholes right. like me who are like, yeah, I guess I'll drive to Lynchburg <laughs> twice to get the fucking vaccine that I don't really want to get anyway. Like, <laughs> because that's what I'm supposed to do uh, constantly just the the people willing to nice guys finish last is what i'm saying that's here right. that's why they don't Obviously. you would know because you're so nice at some point he will make a movie where it's just words right no although if he keeps on getting positive reviews then no, why, why would he do that did the did like Rogers and Hammerstein make a movie with no words. Oh, is that his Did play? Did Sondheim make a movie with no music? Like, what? No. Did Aaron Sorkin ever write something not drip, dripping yeah, with smarm like and condescension? Like, no, that's the brand. He writes musicals. Oh, I have one of those camp girl things. Yeah. No. I don't like that tone, Bob. 